minutos. Hi, my name is Kevin. <coughs> Hi, my name is Kevin. Today we're dealing with a stuffed up sink. Um, one of the tools that we use for this is this very inexpensive uh, device called a roto snake. You can pick it up at Menards or any of the home stores. Very simple piece of plastic, has little barbs on it. What we're gonna do here is we're going to stick this into the clog <clears throat> and work it through the clog down the drain, agitate it a bit back and forth, run some water through the drain. Look at that. And just like that, we're good to go. Hope this never happens to you, but if it does, you have an idea how to deal with it. So once again, thanks for joining us. So we've been talking about renovating your home and your life. That's disgusting. Let's just be honest today. <laughs> well, hey, Heritage, how are we this weekend? We doing well? Outstanding. Listen, I hope that you are as excited to be here as I am. In fact, I want to welcome those of you here at Rock Island, those of you at Bettendorf QC West, those of you joining us online, welcome today. And if you are at Heritage for the first time or you're dropping in online for the first time, listen, welcome to Heritage. I am so glad that you're here. Thank you for choosing to worship alongside us. And I want you to know today... You picked a great weekend to come. I want you to know that our God has been on the move for the last two services. And I'm telling you, I am waiting in expectation that he is going to continue to show up today. I mean, we've been celebrating that this month we've had 45 first-time decisions for Jesus Christ. That is outstanding. <laughs> Listen, only God can do those kind of things. So if you're here for the first time or if you call this place home, welcome, welcome, welcome. We've been on a journey together through a series called Renovate in which we've kind of used the template of a home to kind of enter into different rooms of the home and have conversations about what God might want to renovate in our lives, in our lives. So if you've been here, you know that we've been on that journey. But if, you, if and here in a minute, I'm going to go through a recap and look at each one of those rooms. And if, and if one sparks your mind or interest and go, hey, I want to look further into that, please go to heritageqc.com, click on the media tab. You can look at all of those. But today I'm going to make an attempt in about eight minutes to, to recap this entire journey that we've been on. So wish me luck, right? This is, I need it. Um, <laughs> but hey, some of you, anybody in here rent a home or own a home? Anybody in any of our campuses? All right, so you might know what it means to have to go in a room and potentially renovate a room. In fact, we began this journey by looking at what does renovate even mean? So take a look at this definition. The first part is to restore to good condition, to make as if new again, or to repair. Now there's a second definition if you look in the dictionary, and it's this, is to restore to life, vigor, or activity. So in the sense of a home, if we're going to renovate a room in our home, it's kind of like that 1960s bathroom. You guys know what I'm talking about? The mint-colored tub, and you can't have the mint-colored tub without the pink sink, right? <laughs> and so to renovate that room means that we're going to go in, we're going to update, we're going to bring new stuff in and, and bring it back into the 21st century, so to speak, right? But in the context of a life, these are the areas of our lives that, that maybe have grown stagnant or, or maybe we just never, they never got off to a start. And so we're saying, hey, we want to renovate these areas. We want to restore them to life or to vigor or to activity. Now, one of the main differences between renovating a home and renovating a life is that if you're going to renovate your home, you can go to yellowbook.com and, and you can pull up a number of contractors who can do a great job for you. Yes, there's probably some that 
I would avoid, right? Some of you have had some bad experiences. But there's all kinds of people that you can call. But we believe that only God can renovate a life, right? Only God can renovate a life. And so we began this journey with that foundation that our God is the one and only one who can renovate a life. And so we started that journey by jumping into the living room, right back here, dead center. This is the relationships center of both of our homes and our lives. And we talked about healthy relationships are really founded on trust. They're really founded on trust. And trust really requires three components. The first one is safety. You have to have an environment that you can have a conversation with somebody and be authentic and be genuine and and be transparent, knowing that they're not going to turn around after your conversation and go and stab you in the back or share that with somebody else or or blast your business all over Facebook or for you Twitter fans, they're not going to tweet your world out there. You know what I mean? And so it has to be an environment that is safe, but it also has to be one where you know that you belong that you belong. In other words, that you're wanted. It's not this awkward moment when you're with somebody in that relationship, and it's clear that you're not wanted there, but that you belong, and finally, that you matter. Or in other words, that you have value. You have value. And so healthy relationships are developed and founded on trust, that where there's safety present and belonging, and there's, you know, there's, you're valued in some way, shape, or form. And so we went from the living room over to the home office. And the home office is this kind of the central nervous system of our lives, right? This is where a number of things intersect. What we earn and, and what we give and what we save and what we spend our money on. It, it kind of points to the reality of what we value. It's the stewardship area of our lives, And if you were here, we looked at Mark chapter 10 when the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, oh Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You remember this conversation? And after a brief dialogue, Jesus looks at him and says, hey, you lack one thing. Go, sell all your possessions and give to the poor. And then Jesus invites him and says, come, follow me. But we watched as that man's face fell and he walked away from Jesus because he didn't have a right relationship with his possessions. And we talked about a right relationship with possessions positions us for a right relationship with people. And I would add, it, possessions us, it possesses, positions us for a right relationship with people and God, because that man walked away from Jesus that day. And so we went from the home office over to the kitchen, and I just loved the title of this message, right? Matt Layer was here, and the message title was How to Fix Your Spouse. Anybody excited about that? will just on it, own it. Okay, and, and so I was super excited. I came in, and, and it was one of those things where I found myself bobbing and weaving, you know, because in my relationship, I found that I was using all the wrong tools. In fact, I was trying to use things like anger and manipulation or stonewalling, and stonewalling in my generation was talk to the hand because I'm not listening, all right? That's kind of camp as I was growing up. Or maybe control, and what we've unpacked as reality is those aren't the tools at all to use to fix your spouse, But in 2 Chronicles 7, we looked at if you want to fix your spouse or you want to change your spouse, humble yourself. Seek God's face and to turn from your ways. You see what happens as we look to to change our spouse and we humble ourselves and we seek God's face and we turn from our ways. God ends up doing a work in us. And in the process of him doing a work in us, we get out of the way and he begins to change some of those things in our spouses. So we moved from the kitchen upstairs to the family room up here. And we had this conversation of why is the next generation so important? And we, we just dialogued around a truth that just stopped me in my tracks and which said this. It says, what we do now influences what others do next. What we do now influences what others do next. In other words, if you're a follower of Jesus today, what you and I do today influences potentially what those who come after us, even generations that aren't born, might influence whether or not they know Jesus 
or not. Now, my heartbeat is I want to know generations that have yet to be born are going to proclaim the praises of God like Psalm 22 says. Like my daughter that's going to be born in a few months, I want her to know Jesus. So how am I going to live today to help impact that? And so we went from the family room, and last week, literally, Pastor Sean physically jumped into the bedroom. You guys know there's a bed up here. He's hopping all over the bed. Now I'm kind of jealous that I would love to do that today, right? But he unpacked God's umbrella for sex. He unpacked God's umbrella for sex. And in fact, we looked at a couple things. The first one is we're supposed to be givers and not takers. We're supposed to be givers and not takers. And then we realized that sex outside of God's umbrella has never made life better. It's never made life better. In fact, Sean talked about underneath God's umbrella that there is favor. There is favor. But when we step outside of God's umbrella or what he had intended, not just in the area of sex, but all areas of life, but we're, in, we're identified as especially sex, is there's only fractures. There's only destruction. There's only brokenness. There's only pain. There's, there's only this wake of, of just hurt that happens outside of that umbrella. And so today you might be going, well, where are we going next, right? We've been on this journey, and, and some of you came maybe excited. Are we going to go into the bathroom? No. No. <laughs> be all kinds of fun, right? But listen, what we're going to do today is we're going to go back into these rooms, and we're going to look at some areas that are present in each one of these rooms. Areas that we walk by that we don't notice, but that are present in every single one, and those areas are the closets. They're the closets in these rooms. Now, you may say, not all the rooms have closets, Justin. My kitchen doesn't have a closet. And I go, well, that's what your pantry is, okay? You have a junk drawer. Everyone's got a junk drawer, okay? These are the areas, in other words, that we try to, we try to stuff stuff to hide them in our homes, you know the areas, you, 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 put, you hang your coats up there. Maybe when you have some friends or family coming over, you're going to throw a couple extra things in there because you want the house to look clean. You know, we learned early on what closets are good for, didn't we? Five to ten years old, go back to that moment. And when mom or dad or grandma or grandpa said, hey, Justin, you need to go clean your room. What were the closet good for? Yeah, buddy, right? Those dirty clothes, great place for them. The toys that needed to be cleaned up, yeah, we'll toss those in. The half-eaten sandwiches, bags of chips, dishes, the kitchen's too far away. Why walk when I can throw them in there, right? And you close the door and hope and pray that when mama comes in, that she doesn't look in there. She always did, but it's a good idea for me. But listen, in our lives, there's areas that we try to pack things and hide things from people because we think if they knew those things about us, that they'd think differently about us. In fact, it's these areas that we try to stuff things and get as much in there thinking that, that God doesn't even see those things. And if I can hide those things and just live as if everything's fine, if, as long as the rooms are all clean and they have fresh paint and new furniture, then we're all set. But the reality is what we're going to look at today, and I want you to understand this, is that our God desires to renovate all areas of our lives. Both the visible, the family rooms, the home offices, the kitchens, but also the hidden areas of our lives. Those closets that nobody else knows what's in there. The things you're trying to hide. Our God desires to renovate those areas in you. Now there's a group of people throughout the, the Bible that on the outside look like they have it all together, right? Right? Especially in the New Testament, there's a group of people that they are kind of like the religious go-tos. They're, the, they're like the, um, the ones who have memorized the vast majority of the Old Testament. Now, that's pretty impressive. I think we'd all agree with that, right? Almost the whole Old Testament, right? These were the ones that they had these special robes. And so when they were out in public, it set them apart. And, 
If they were at a party, they would sit in the seats of honor and, and people would go to them for advice and how do I follow God and, and what do I do? And some of you, maybe you've been around church, around the Bible, you know that these people's names were the Pharisees or the teachers of the law. Sometimes you'll hear the term Sadducees, right? They're different, but they're both religious leaders. And the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. Now, if you don't believe in the resurrection, you're sad, you see, right? Can you remember that? All right, you learned something today. This is really good. But listen, Jesus, these were the people that if I think of Jesus stepping into the world, into the New Testament, they're the ones that I would think that Jesus would go to, right? They are the leaders of God. They're, they're the ones who know the law. But what we find out with Jesus is, is he doesn't necessarily connect with them. In fact, I love to go back to the passage we're going to look at here in a minute in Matthew 23 when people tell me, well, I don't like religious people. And I go, great, Jesus didn't either, <laughs> In fact, let's look at Matthew 23. There's a passage in your outline, but I want to read a couple portions that lead into that. All right? So in verse 1, it says this. Just, it's not going to be up on the screen. Just listen. Keep in mind, these are the religious leaders. Then Jesus said to the crowd and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, the seat of influence, the seat of honor, the seat of power. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you. For this is where Jesus turns the tables. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. Ouch. Go down to verse 5. It says, Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and their tassels on their garments long, and they love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogue. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and called rabbi by others. And then in verse, Jesus, in verse 13, Jesus kind of turns it and starts to, to unleash these seven warnings or these seven woes to the Pharisees. You've got to check out some of them. Check some of these out. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourself do not enter, nor will you be let to enter who are trying to. Look at verse 15. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Wow. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when you have succeeded, you make them twice the child of hell that you are. This is Jesus' words, red words, speaking to the religious leaders of the time that had it all together. The homes were renovated. In fact, the home office, and, the, and the, he's speaking to the Pharisees and says, your home office looks good, but you're missing the point. Check this out in verse 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, your mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Verse 25 says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but in the inside, they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will be clean. Then he continues in verse 27 that's in your outline, and he says this, You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Can all of us just say, ouch? <laughs> 
You see, in this passage, in their culture, they would spend a lot of time whitewashing and making sure that the tombs were clean and, and they would be decorated and ornate. And Jesus is saying, listen, you're doing the same thing in your lives where you're trying to, to look good on the outside and look polished and look clean and, and you've renovated all these visible areas of your life. But, but I want you to know that I want your heart. I want to renovate your heart. I want to transform you from within. And later on in that chapter, he invites them into that. He says, look, I long to gather you. I long for that. There's a moment in the Old Testament when this prophet Samuel, some of you have heard of Samuel, right? And, and he is, God tells him to go anoint a new king. Saul was the king of Israel and he had disobeyed. He had turned away from God and, and God told Samuel to go anoint a new king. So Samuel went to the, the home of Jesse. Some of you know David. This is David's dad. And, and he went to the home of Jesse and one by one, each of David's brothers came before him. And Samuel looked at them and said, he's handsome, he's smart, he looks strong. Man, clearly, he is the one that the Lord's anointed. But God says something in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. He says, the Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. In the original language, that word heart means the inner man, the hidden areas, the areas that no one else sees. That's what God looks at when he looks at us. And the truth is, is that God wants to renovate all areas of our life. The visible areas, but also those areas of the heart, those hidden areas. And there's a few reasons for that. And the first one is that, is that the hidden areas in our lives... They influence every area of our life. They influence every area of our lives. Now listen, some of you know that we're fairly new to the Quad Cities, all right? About 10, 11 months ago, we bought a home in Davenport. All right, Illinois people, don't judge me, all right? We're all friends here. <laughs> but we bought a home in Davenport, and the day finally came after a couple months of waiting, and we signed the papers on our home. We were so excited to finally get moved in, get our stuff in, get settled. You guys understand that. And so we ran home, and the moving truck was there, and, and they started to move our stuff in. And about an hour, hour and a half into this, my wife said, Hey, Justin, I smell something. I said, Okay, honey. <laughs> Making sure I shower, doing those things. What do, what do you mean you smell something? Okay, so we continue down. About two hours later, the movers are finishing up. They have all of our stuff in, and the main guy who drives the truck comes walking up to me in the kitchen, my wife and I, and he says, listen, I need to tell you that me and the guys, we smell something. I said, what are you talking about? And he said, we smell gas. We smell gas, natural gas, and, and we think that you should call somebody to make sure that you're okay to be here. So I finally figured out who to call. I still don't know who to call. Keep in mind, I'm from Michigan. Michigan gas isn't down here in Iowa, by the way. And so I called them, and about two minutes into the conversation, the guy on the phone, I'm sitting in my, in my kitchen, he says, Sir, you need to take you and your family and evacuate your home. I said, you've got to be kidding me. This isn't starting well, Quad Cities, right? So they sent a guy out from the gas company, and he looked all throughout our home, and he found a little crack about this big, on our stove. And that little crack, he told me, that if there would have been some kind of spark, some kind of fire, that our entire home was at risk. Our entire home was at risk. Now here's the thing, in our lives, we think a lot of times those are these hidden closet realities, these things that, that we don't want people to see. We think that they're just little isolated pieces of our lives. But listen, they influence every part of our life. 
every part of our life. In fact, the first week we were here, Pastor Jason made a quote or shared a quote by one of the handyman on TV when it said that it's the things in your house that you don't see that will determine how long your house lasts. And so when we're talking about renovation, we're looking at, we've looked at these visible areas, but it's these hidden areas in the closets that will determine whether or not those things are long-lasting renovations in our life. So these hidden areas influence every area of our life, but they also, listen, they don't just affect us. They don't just affect us. Recently, I was reading a book. And this book was, was titled, um, actually the book was titled Clean, but it, it um, referenced a book by the name of Partners, Healing from Addiction, written in 2011. And what this book did is it surveyed women before they got married and after they got married to men who struggled with sexual addictions. Pornography. Now listen, women, you're not off the hook here. Pornography is present and men and women are both engaging this, all right? But this study was done, a survey of women before they got married and then after they got married. And by the way, the women didn't even know their husbands had sexual addictions. So this is something that they had no clue of. And one of the questions in this survey was asking them to rate their self-esteem. 25% of the women before they got married said, hey, I have high self-esteem. Three years or so into their marriage, when they're surveyed again, only 5% said they had high self-esteem, a difference of 20%. Those who said, I have average self-esteem, about 40% initially before they got married, and after that, only 20%, another 20% difference. Keep in mind, they don't know anything that's going on in that hidden closet of their husband's lives. 27% said that they had low self-esteem before they got married. And after they got married, when they surveyed these women, 38% said they had low self-esteem. Almost a 10% jump in the number of women who, who identified themselves as low self-esteem. But listen to this area. The women who said that they have really low self-esteem, that they, that they didn't feel like they measured up or they had anything to offer, only 8% before they got married said that they had very low self-esteem. But after a few years of marriage, 37% said that they had low, low, low self-esteem. In other words, almost a 30% jump because of something they knew nothing about. That, that hidden closet area of their husband's life was directly impacting them. And men, I know that your desire, if you're married today, is that your wife would feel loved and that she would feel believed in and empowered and, and that she'd have high self-esteem. But if there's some things, especially along the, the lines of sexual sin or sexual addiction in our background, in our closets, we're hurting our wives. We're setting them up for, for seasons and lifelong bouts with depression. It doesn't just affect our spouses. Our children also are affected. In a book by the name of Beyond the Bedroom, Healing for Adult Children of Sex Addicts, both men and women, children are surveyed after they're, you know, out of the home. By the way, 68% of them said that they found out about their parents' sexual addictions before they left the home. So parents, some of us are trying to hide these things and our kids are finding out. But listen to some of the things these kids said that the impact of their parents' decisions had on them. 81% said they had low self-esteem because of what they, what they found out, their parents' actions. 71% said that they struggled with spirituality or what they believe about Jesus. 71% said they, their social life was affected. 57% said that their depression was directly linked back to the, what they, the choices that their parents had made. 94%, listen to this, 94% of the kids who were surveyed said that they had sexual addictions and they would, cause the, they would track the root back to when they found out about their parents. 
89% of them said that they were suspicious of others and others' intentions. 86% said that they had difficulty knowing their true selves. 81% said they had difficulty finding true spiritual congruency. Listen. The things that are in our closets, this sexual reality is just one of them. They don't just affect us. They influence every area of our life and they influence and they affect the people that we love. But listen, these hidden areas also become Satan's playground. They also become Satan's playground. Now listen, John 10.10, I love this verse. We love this verse, right? Especially the second half. Check this out. The second half. I have come that they may have life and life to the full. They're red words. They're Jesus' words, right? We love the second half. But this first half that says the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy. Your translation might say the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. In other words, Satan has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And so we think of this as kind of a cosmic reality that, you know, there's, there's something going on and there's an enemy that wants to come and get us, but it doesn't really affect my day-to-day life. But I want you to know that the enemy loves that you and I think that. Because he can sneak in the back door and little by little he can steal our joy. He can kill the confidence that we had. He can, he can get us to question or doubt our faith because, you know, he can get us to, to question whether or not God's grace is sufficient or if Jesus' blood really could have paid the, the price for our sins. And little by little he steals, he kills, and he destroys Now, a lot of these closet realities the enemy likes to play around in are really in three different areas. One is the areas of deep woundedness. Another is the area of active sin or things that were, were this sin side of us that we're feeding. Maybe it's addiction of some sort. And the third is that when we try to hide areas of sin in our past lives that, that we've been freed of and maybe God's forgiven us of, but we're, we're going to hide these things. And some, what Satan loves to do is in these areas, he loves to just spit all kinds of lies. How many of you know that Satan in Scripture is called the father of lies? Anyone know that? Let me, let me list out some of the lies that the enemy loves to spit out. And here, I'm going to warn you. Some of these you've heard. Some of these maybe today that you have believed, and my hope is by hearing them, that you go, wait a minute, that was a lie from the enemy. I don't want any part of that. So today, if you've been deeply wounded, some of the lies that the enemy loves to say to you are this. First, it was your fault. It was your fault. You could have stopped it if you wanted to. And he goes on to tell you that you're too defiled to be used by God. Then Satan tries to tell you, hey, you have the right to get even. You don't have to forgive them. They deserve it. And by the way, God abandoned you. If God was with you, he wouldn't have let this happen. He wouldn't have allowed it to happen. If God loved you, this is the enemy. If God loved you, he would have intervened. He would have stopped it. Then the enemy will tell us, it's okay to carry a grudge. That's your way of getting back at them. And then, to make sure you keep the door closed, And you don't share any of these wounds or these hurts. He says, listen, if anybody would have found out, if anybody were to find out about this, they'll want nothing to do with you. And then there's the areas of sin in our life. Active sin, things that we're wrestling with. Maybe it's an addiction or things that we know are wrong. And and the enemy, enemy loves to come alongside us and tell us that, listen, nobody will find out. Nobody will find out. It's just your secret. Now listen, there is no such thing as a secret. There's a season of secrets. But you will be found out. It will come to light. Scripture is so clear about that. But the enemy doesn't want you to hear that. He wants to tell you, hey, listen, you're not hurting anybody anyways. The Bible's outdated. What the Bible tells you to do is irrelevant. That's not relevant to today's world. He goes on to say, you have the right to pleasure. In fact, he likes to get us to focus on the short-term pleasure while ignoring the long-term consequences or the long-term destruction as a result of what we've done in our, in our choices. 
And then the classic one is he loves to tell us that the guilt and the shame and the self-condemnation that we're feeling is really just God venting his anger on us. What he fails to tell you is that Satan is the one that heaps this element of shame and self-condemnation on you. You see, Romans 8.1 is so clear where it says, there is now for no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But Satan doesn't want you to understand that. Because if you begin to understand that, you begin to walk in freedom. And so for some of us, there's an element in our past that we've been hiding in the closet and it's a past thing, an issue of sin or something like that. And the enemy loves to come alongside and whisper these lies. This is what he does. And I know you've heard these. Where he says, you can't be forgiven. You can't be forgiven. You're a failure. You're a failure. He likes to tell you, listen, your sin's different. And you want to know why it's different? Because you knew it was wrong back then and you still did it. And that's unforgivable. And then he wants to tell you. And I would go on record of saying everyone in this room and every one of our locations are online. You've heard this lie. He'll look at you or he'll speak in your ear and he'll say, because of what you've done or because of what you're actively doing today or because of what you haven't done, God doesn't love you. And he'll try to tell you that not only does God not love you and, and that what happened on the cross doesn't affect you either because that doesn't count for you. But then he'll go on to say that that disqualifies you from serving God. The enemy loves to tell you those things because these hidden areas of our life are Satan's playground. But listen to me, he doesn't want you to know that thing in Scripture, 1 Peter 3 says, hey, Jesus died once for all. The unrighteous Jesus for the, or the righteous Jesus for the unrighteous you and I to bring you to God. He doesn't want you to hear Scriptures like Romans 10 that says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that he rose from the dead, you will be saved. He doesn't want you to know those Scriptures or embrace those. Or John 3, 16, all of us know that. That God so loved the world that he gave his only son that if you believe believe in him that you won't die, that you won't perish, that you'll have everlasting life because Jesus has paid the price. He doesn't want you to understand scriptures to say, my grace is sufficient for you. He doesn't want you to get that. He wants to meddle in these hidden areas of your life and lie to you and lie to you and lie to you and lie to you so that you will live a life that is just cut off at the knees. You'll live a life full of bondage, thinking that as long as I get these rooms all put together, everything that people see, and if I look pretty on the outside, then all is good. But I want you to know today, listen, that God wants to renovate the areas that can't be seen on the outside. And in fact, if we don't allow him to do that, then whatever other renovation we see is going to be short-lived. Now listen, all of us have been through this process where the enemy is trying to beat us up. About 10 years ago, I went through a season that the enemy was just overtime on me. Oh my goodness, I couldn't stop hearing the lies. I was serving at a church in, in Michigan. I was a young adult director and pastor. And, and, and I went through a season in which the enemy just, you're disqualified to serve God because of what you've done. And your sin isn't forgiven. And God doesn't love you. And God doesn't love people like you. And I never forget this. I went through a two or three week span in which, some of you know I'm fairly extroverted. right? I can talk the wall if I can hear my echo. You know what I mean? That kind of guy. Some of you, I get on your nerves, I know. Listen. So I would go out in public, and I might run into a young family at the mall, and I'd, sit, and I'd look at them, they'd have a little girl, and, and I'd say, oh, your daughter is beautiful. How old is she? Oh, she's five. Oh, great, 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 excellent. So then I'd meet a guy at church, and, and I'd look at his son, and I'd say, oh, your son is so studly. How old is he? And he'd say, yes, he is studly. He's like his daddy, and by the way, he's five years old, right? 
Well, listen, this happened on and on for two to three weeks. And finally, by the end of that time frame, I could meet somebody and I would stoop down at the level of their child. And I'd say, I bet you're five years old. And the little kid, you know five-year-olds. Oh, yeah, I'm five, I'm five. They're super excited that I guessed it right. And that may not sound significant to you, but listen. On the last Sunday, as that was going on, my best friend's name's Justin. I keep it simple, right? Justin, my best friend Justin. I got married on 7-7 of 07, all right? I'm a simple guy. And we went out to, to lunch after church. We did it every week. We went to the same place called Homespun. We call it the Hospo. I mean, it was just, they had the greasy omelets. You guys know what I'm talking about. Some of you go in there after service. <laughs> and I'll never forget, we got our seat. I remember where I was sitting. I remember the table. I think maybe we got our drinks. And then I looked at Justin. And I said, Justin, I need to talk to you. I said, because there's something that I need to tell you that I've never told anyone else. And I got to tell you that right now, the enemy for the last two to three weeks has been telling me, you're not worthy. You're not worthy. You can't serve God. You're disqualified from serving God. And I know that there's a passage in James that says, if I confess my sins to others and that you pray for me, that I'll be healed and I want to be healed. And I looked at him and I said, Justin, five years ago, my girlfriend got pregnant. And we had an abortion. And I said, I needed to tell you that because I need you to pray for me because I know that God has called me to serve him without a shadow of a doubt. But I continue to hear these voices that are telling me I'm not worthy and I can't be forgiven. And this shame and this guilt and this self-condemnation that, that I'm putting on myself is suffocating. And I'll tell you that day, he stopped and we prayed. And in that moment, an element of healing started to come across my life. An element of healing where I began to embrace God's grace and, and really believe it, right? I mean, I had to go through a process of forgiving myself. I had to go through a process of saying, how could I do that? I mean, sometimes God forgives us and then we can't forgive ourselves. And I had to work through that later on. But listen, it was in that moment when that hidden area of my life, that closet, the thing that I had hidden for so long came out, that a freedom started to come and listen. Your story might be different. It probably is different. But whatever's in that closet, whatever's in that hidden area of your life, I want you to know that God wants to renovate that area of your life. He wants to renovate and transform that area of your life. And so, so what? What does this mean today? So what? What does this mean? Let me read a few passages from Psalm 139. In your no guide, there's a couple verses, but I'm going to read the first 14, and then we'll get to the one that you have. It starts like this. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light will become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for the darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. 
you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. You see what the psalmist is saying here, and he gets this. I want us to hear this today. That God knows every part of you. God knows every part of us. He sees the visible, but he also sees the closet. He sees the things that are hidden. And our God wants to transform and renovate those areas of your life. He wants you to experience forgiveness and healing. What happens is a psalmist, knowing that God sees those things, asks something of God. Check this out, verse 23. It's in your outline. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. As we close this series and as we close this message today, I wonder if you might ask God to do that in your life right now. I wonder if you might ask him to come in and say, search my heart, O God. Look within me to those parts that nobody else sees. And if you see anything that is offensive to you, will you point that out to me today? Another question that you might ask to simplify that is this. What area in your life grieves the heart of God? What in your life today grieves the heart of God? Listen, I want you to know something today. We don't have a God that sits with a baseball bat that's ready to beat you upside the head because he's angry with you. We have a God who stands by with arms open wide and he sees these areas that we're hiding and tears are running down his face and he says, my son, my daughter, I long for you. I long for you to experience freedom. I long to do a work in your heart and in your life that will transform that. I long for you to embrace the reality that I have paid the price for you. That your sin isn't too far beyond my ability to forgive. My son died on that cross. His body was broken and his blood poured out to pay the price that only he could pay for you. And I, not only did he die, he rose again. And I want you to walk in freedom in that area. You see, God wants to transform that area of your life. He wants to transform that area of your life. Now today, I'm sure that something has come to mind Something has been running through your head during this message. And and you may say, Justin, I want that. I want that. I I want him to renovate that. What do I do? And most of the time, those things are hidden behind closed doors in these closets of our life. And so if you're asking, what's the first thing that you need to do? It's simply this. Open the door. Open the door. You see, the enemy for so long has wanted you to keep the door closed. But today, resolve to say, I'm going to open the door. And then once you've opened the door, the first step is to invite Jesus into that area of your life. James 5 says this. It says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Submit yourselves. Remind yourselves that Jesus is Lord and and then resist the devil because the lies, 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 lies are going to go on. He doesn't want you to open the door. Resist that and then trust That as Jesus comes in, he's going to lift you up. One of my favorite scriptures to quote is 1 John 1, 9. It says this, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, we invite Jesus in, we open the door, he is faithful and just and will forgive. Everyone say forgive. Forgive, that's great news. He will will forgive those things, but check this out. He will forgive us our sins and purify us. Say purify. He will purify us from all unrighteousness. To purify is to remove the contaminants from, as if they never existed. What a promise in Scripture. 
And so we have a God that says, I want you to open the doors. I want you to invite me in. And I would think for most of us in this room today, this is the first step. This is what our God is calling you to today to open the door. For some of us, it's, you know, an issue that we've had hidden for so long. And for others of us, we've been resisting this whole idea of Jesus. Can I trust him or can I trust him? And the enemy's telling you, you're not worthy. That news is too good for you. But I want you to know today, open the door. Invite Jesus in. Confess your sins. He is faithful and just to forgive them and wipe them clean. And so for some of us, that's the first step. Now, tonight or tomorrow or maybe a week from now, a month from now, the next step is this, is to, to let others in. Invite others in. This is the moment I sat with Justin at that table and I said, brother, I got to tell you something I've never told anybody before. And why this is important is this. James 5, I kind of mentioned it earlier, but it says this. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed healed. And so for some of you, you have somebody to go to and sit down with and talk to. And I encourage you, open the door, invite Jesus in, and then invite them in. Listen, it doesn't mean you're going to stand on a stage and tell everyone your business, okay? But one person that will pray for you, invite them in. I realize not everyone here has that person. That's why as a church, we talk about the importance of living linked in journey groups, because we want to put you in relationship with people. God's wired us to be this way so that we can have these conversations. But if today you don't have that relationship, at any of our locations, grab a pastor and just say, I need to talk to you. It doesn't matter if you know them or not. I need to talk to you and I need you to pray for me. So listen, as we close today, on the bottom of your outline, there's a little piece uh, uh, that says this. Today I'm opening the door. Today I'm opening the door. And here's my ask of you today. That thing that's been running through your mind, the thing that when you ask the question of, what about my life grieves the heart of God? Would you take just a moment and write that down, down there? And I'm going to ask you to tear that piece of paper off of your outline today. We're going to do something with it at each of our locations. You'll get some directions here in a little bit. But I want you to just write whatever that is. And please, where you're at sitting around, please don't look around. Let this be a moment with this person at their seat where they're opening the door and inviting God into this thing. Listen, as you do this, the enemy's going to be barking right here. I promise you, this isn't going to work. God doesn't love you. It's not worth it. It's not going to change anything. You're still not worthy. God doesn't. Listen, I love this. And because I know the enemy's doing that, we're going to take communion together. We're going to take communion together because here's the reality. Jesus' body was broken on a cross just like that. He was mutilated beyond recognition before he even got on the cross. And his hands and his feet, they were nailed to that cross. He was hung up and his blood poured out of him to pay the price for our sins. And so the enemy says, you're not worthy. God can't do that. God can't forgive you. No, God did do that. It's game over. Not only did Jesus die for our sins, but oh good boy, three days later he rose again from the dead. And listen, what we're going to do is we're going to have a time to take communion together. And to respond and just say, God, what's on this piece of paper? I'm opening the door. And Jesus, I'm inviting you in. So as I pray, would you do that right where you're at? The good news is, is our God wants to renovate all areas of our lives. The areas that are visible and the areas that are hidden. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, <laughs> what great news that if we confess our sins, that you are faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us to wipe us clean from all that unrighteousness. 
God, thank you that you desire not just to renovate the visible areas, but God, you long to see a long-term restoration and renovation and transformation within us. And that has to happen within in those deep, dark areas of our closets that we've hidden for so long. And God, may today be a day of freedom because if the sun sets you free, you'll be free indeed. So God, we love you. I ask for this time to be a powerful moment right where we're at as we just open the door to you and we invite you in, Jesus. We thank you for today. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen.